Welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Well, we're here with Ben McGonagall. Ben is a missionary uh, based in Cambodia. He's back in Australia visiting for a little bit uh, because his beautiful wife just had a beautiful baby. Uh, so they've had their baby. They're about to head back over to Cambodia and uh, they do an amazing work uh, over in a, in a country that has been uh, ravaged by poverty and war. And uh, it's amazing to see a young Aussie slash New Zealand history maker <laughs> changing the world. Uh, ben, welcome to History Makers, mate. Hey, cheers, mate. Now, Ben, let's find out a bit about your story. Uh, you uh, grew up in New Zealand. What was family life like for you? Oh, mate, I had a, I had a beautiful family. You know, they loved me very much, mum and dad and two younger sisters. And um, yeah, it was really, really great, mate. But I just started hanging out with a, a bit of a wrong crew through school and different things happened. So when I was 16 years old, guys broke into my house. They put a knife to my mate's throat. Started to beat him and then put the knife on me and we managed to get them out of the house but later on a baseball bat was put through my mum's window and mum come home the next day and she said, hey, you know, what happened if your little sister had been in the room when that baseball bat smashed the glass through and I thought, well, the decisions I'd made now affected my family. I had to leave home. So you, you had a, a bit of a, um, a rough spot there, which a lot of teenagers do. You know, you were 16 at the time. Tell me, um, you became a Christian at the age of 19. What led to, uh, to that moment in history? Mate, I was um, surfing up and down the coast of Australia, east coast of Australia, having a, just such a great time. You know, I had the friends, had the money and everything, but just really started to feel the love of God in my heart without anyone coming and sharing with me. And I started to think, well, Lord, you love me. I always had a belief in God, but I thought, well, he's just out there. If someone steps in the way to try and kill me, I thought he'll take care of me. But that was it. There was never any following of Jesus. And so basically it got to this point that I just went, well, Lord, you, you love me. I'd have start trying to be a better person, which is what I thought was the right thing to do. And, but every time I tried, I just, I just make a mistake again. And to the point that I woke up one morning, tears in my eyes, just going, God, I'm trying. You love me. I'm trying to be a good person and I can't do it. And that's when it just clicked. I realized, oh, wow. That's because of Jesus, that God gave Jesus, his son, for me, for all the mistakes that I make. So that it's not about me working hard to be like pleasing to God. It's about me accepting the free gift of life through Jesus and just going, well, Lord, hey, I receive that, Lord, and now I'm going to follow you. All right. Now, were you like part of a church or a youth group then? Uh, what, was your, what was your church life like? Oh, mate, it was non-existent. When I, when I was younger, I'd been to a youth group a few times in New Zealand and Tauranga, and um, that was just, they just did awesome things. And I thought, well, I'm going along there. And obviously, things were spoken about and, and would have been sowed into my heart at that time, but nothing ever came out for years, and I, I didn't attend church at all. And what about after you became a Christian? Did you go find a good one? Or? Oh, mate, yeah. Once once I made that decision, yeah, God God teed it up. He brought along my beautiful beautiful wife, and, and yeah, it was a beautiful church in Tauranga. It's called Change Point. Oh, change point. That's a great name. And then what about um, work? What, what were you doing? You're a computer guy, were you? Yeah, I did, mate. I was doing bricklaying and, and uh, all sorts of tradey work and then actually got into, into computers and yeah, started doing really well with computers, contracting between New Zealand and Australia and making a whole lot of money. And then, um, yeah, just God just led me out of that into other things. Though. So you were making good money. You had a good career. You had a beautiful wife. You know, things were looking good. What led you to leave all that behind and head over to Cambodia? <laughs> Oh, mate, well, 
obviously things were sown in my heart before just about about mission about the the harvest that's out there but the point of decision was when I was down south in New South Wales and we were at a prayer meeting and they had different uh, areas you'd go and pray and one had a board on it, it was called missions and I just laid my hand on it and prayed a very real prayer. I'd put my hand on it and said, God, if you don't want me to go to Cambodia, God, I won't go. I'm happy here, Lord. I've got great friends and money. I've got an apartment at the beach. I'm surfing with dolphins almost every day. Got a four-wheel drive, a motorbike. God, I'm eating good steak. I prayed a very real prayer. I said, God, if you don't want me to go, God, I won't go. And then I felt the heartache of God and, and it broke me. Basically, I fell to my knees. I started, I started crying because I felt his heart just aching for people that don't know him. And he, and he spoke these words so clearly. And he said, if you don't go, who will go? I quickly did a quick assessment of people that I knew that had gone. I thought, Lord, I don't know people that are gone. And I said, God, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. And I didn't realize what was happening until we got over there and, and we started to see it, that there's this massive harvest of people that want to know about Jesus, that want to be set free, and they're, they're waiting for ones like yourself and me to, to get amongst it. Now, I've been over there twice and uh, spent some time uh, with the Heartland International Church there where you used to be based. And you uh, obviously were impacted by you know the, 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 time, the short-term mission trips and then you moved over there. Tell me, um, for those of you who don't know, can you just explain a bit of the background of Cambodia? Like it's known as one of the poorest um, of the poor countries in Asia. Um, what, uh, what's the history of Cambodia? Do you want to just share that? Well, throughout the 70s, they had the Khmer Rouge where different stats will say between 2 million and more were, were killed. If you uh, wore glasses, they killed you. If you didn't have blisters on your hands, they killed you because it proved you weren't a farm worker. And, they, and anyone educated, they killed as well. It was a horrific time. And then they'd even ask the children, they'd say, hey, kids, did mum and dad study? And if the kids said yes, then they'd then kill the parents. And they basically wiped out a generation of, of people over there and and it was horrific. And then there was, you know, civil war right through to the end of the 90s. And But for the last 10 or so years, that, that country is turning around. It's growing again. It's now open to a message of hope to know about Jesus. And, yeah, it's, it's amazing. Now, when you go over there to the Heartland Church in uh, Kampong Jam, you, you go over there and, uh, you know, they take you to the slums. They take you to the AIDS ward of the local hospital and you can take food in and pray for the patients. Uh, they take you uh, into a place called Windy Village, this, you know, uh, little village where they just, you know, they've got one or two sets of clothes. You know that they've got no, they just eat rice. That you know, there's not much uh, meat on their bones. That if they own a cow, they're considered, you know, mega wealthy. You know, um, what uh, what impacted you most when you're in Cambodia? Was it the poverty uh, physically, or was it the spirit spiritual poverty? Um, t- tell us some stories about you know how it impacted you. I think it was both. Their hearts, like they won't. They don't really wear their emotions on their sleeve like Australians would do. They they sort of hide it away, and and you know their hearts crying out for someone just to talk to them and, and help them through some issues, and and so that's definitely a big a big thing. And then also the poverty when you're seeing little kids just starving on the streets, and you know just going through the rubbish piles on the corners, and you know that knocks you. But then at the same time as seeing like that heartache, you also see the lives getting transformed as you go out there and help them and get amongst it. And my wife, she's full on. She'd she'd live down the slums if she could. She just loves going to the AIDS ward and praying for people and seeing people come out of comas and, and get healthy and actually get discharged from the hospital as well when they were going to die. And Yeah, I mean, we just get amongst it. Sometimes it hurts, but other times you're just like, Lord, this is this is where we've got to be. So uh, you did a couple of short-term trips and then you moved over there. Um, what was it like um, living there long-term, uh, you know, being you know, probably some of the only white people 
around that area, apart from a few other missionaries or a few other aid workers here or there. Um, was it hard to fit into the culture over there? Oh, culturally, they, they love you. They really, they really love you. They want to talk to you. They're always saying, come into my hut, come and just have a couple with me, basically, and have, let's just have a chat. And, and so that's really lovely. I think some of the struggles, probably food was a big, big issue. Like you get used to eating tarantulas and snakes and stuff. And Cherie, she's, she's gung ho, mate. She'll go for it, eh? And I'm thinking, oh, she's eating the snake. We just caught it at the backyard. I've got to eat it now, too. So, you know, but oh, you miss a good steak. You do, but oh, mate, we love it. Now, um, when, when I went over there, uh, I was, um, uh, really uh, cautious of the food and, you know, they say not to drink the water, like to drink bottled water and that kind of stuff because, you know, there, there, there are some real dangers, you know. Uh, you know, you can get sick quite easily. Um, you know, what kind of price uh, did you have to pay for that? You know, you took your kids over. That's a risk, you know, taking, you know, uh, uh, your beautiful little baby boy and you've now got a new baby you're taking over there. What are the health health risks that, that you face when you go over there? Oh, you've got to use wisdom. but We really believe in, in praying over our children. As well, and so you know, if someone's going to come along, we're, we're just praying, just just protection and blessing over them. And we always believe it's better to be in the will of God, in the center of His will, in a third world country, than out of His will, hanging, you know, having a great time here in Australia. Well, now um, you, you spoke at you know our church, New Hope Brisbane, uh, on the weekend, and my favourite stories of yours you shared was about giving up surfing for God. Now, I grew up in Coffs Harbour. I used to surf a bit too. I, I know the price that you have paid. <laughs> Tell us about the, the vision you had, mate. Tell us about that. Oh, nice. Well, well once I made a decision to, to follow Jesus, because that's what a Christian is, a follower of Jesus. Um, I had a dream, and, and behind me were two surfboards in my dream, and I was holding these stone tablets in front of me with writing all over them, and I knew this was the will of God for my life. And and if I picked up one of the surfboards, I had to put down some of the stone tablets. Now, don't get me wrong. God's got no issue with surfing. But it was just because surfing was such a, a passion, so hardcore, it was actually higher than God, you could say, that I had to lay it down to go, well, God, I'm going to go your way. And, and so I did. I, I stopped surfing. I said, well, Lord, you're, you know, I'm in love with you, Lord. I want to I follow you. So if that means I'm going to lay that down, I'll, I'll lay it down. So I didn't surf for about three years. And um, yeah, once everything was established, everything's in the right order. God gave me another dream where my dad actually in my dream gave me a new surfboard and I woke up the next morning and told Sharia, I said, oh, dad's getting me a new surfboard and we just spent some time ministering in New Zealand and my dad won a surfboard in a competition and gave it to me. He goes, here you go, son, here's your new board and oh, mate, I'm stoked. So, you know, God gives us richly all things to enjoy, just not at the expense of, you know, his relationship with us or the things he has for us to do. But once we've got it in the right order, mate, it's on. Mate, that's, you know, one thing that's impacted me so much, you know, like I, I, I'm part of a great church here in Brisbane, I've got a good life, you know, I've thought about moving over to Cambodia like you, like you guys do, and uh, I, I just haven't sensed it's the right time for me, but you know, I, I had to ask myself the question, would I be willing to give up all the luxuries of this life? And would I be willing to leave it behind to go into a third world country and, and do the work if, if, if that's the center of God's will for my life, you know? Um, would you speak to those listening now that are thinking, you know what? I've never done missions work. I've never gone and really helped a poor neighbor like uh, a poor country neighbor of Australia's, you know? I've never gone and paid that price. How important is it to be obedient in a circumstance like that? Oh, obedience is key. That's the key to our, to our walk with God because that means that our faith is actually real. The Bible says that faith without action is dead. And so if there's nothing happening in your life that according to your belief in God, then you've got to question, question, am I really following Jesus? I mean, for my life before I chose to follow him, I used to say to everyone, yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. But there was, 
There was nothing in my life that would say I was. But Jesus said it himself. He said we're to deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. And it's out of just a total love relationship. You know, it's, it's a love walk with God hand in hand. He's with us always. And yeah, he just, he's got great things for us. So I'd, I'd encourage anyone out there, you know, if you're praying about going, stop praying about going. Because God says in his word that we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And so the question is to pray, hey, God, can I stay? And if we are called to stay where we are right now, then, okay, God, how can I be involved in the global harvest that's going on right now? How could I involved, be involved in helping my neighbor or some, um, some people that are homeless down the street? What do you want me to be doing here? If you're calling me to stay here, what do you want me to be doing in this community? You know, um, I just heard that recently uh, a number of the largest mission agencies in the world were in America, and they were studying which countries they're preaching the gospel in, what the conversion rate is in those countries, and what's the likelihood of being able to preach the gospel to all nations. Because, you know, the Bible says that the gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. And these guys said that they reckon in 15 years from now, the gospel will have been preached to all nations. Now, I'm not saying that's when Jesus is coming back because no one knows the day or the hour, you know, but it certainly seems like the end times. And, it, you know, it's actually one thing I believe that Australia will be the largest mission-sending nation per capita uh, in, in the earth, you know. And, and I just believe that you're part of that generation that's being sent out. Um, so tell me, uh, do you come across a lot of missionaries in Cambodia and in your travels? Because you've been, have you been to other countries as well? Or do, you, do you come across a lot of Aussies that are getting out there doing mission work? Oh, we've come across we've come across a few, but I wouldn't say many. Yeah. In Cambodia, I mean, when I first got there, I understand I understood the ache of God's heart because I'd walk outside the house and I'd be like, "Where where are the Christians?" That was all these people wanting to hear about Jesus and never heard the name of Jesus and wanting to know in the less that a plane flight away. And so that was our prayer. God said, "Pray for laborers to be sent out into the into His harvest." You know, so we we just got to be praying, saying, "God send laborers." And so we did. We just started praying, "God send laborers into your harvest." And He started raising more and more up. And now Cambodia is actually becoming a bit of a nation on the heart of lots of churches around now. A lot of people in Cambodia haven't heard of the name of Jesus. You know, it's like ninety five percent, or I don't know, more than that, a Buddhist nation. Tell us, um, for those listening that might be interested in Buddhism and not know the differences between Buddhism and Christianity, what, what are your thoughts in a, in a nutshell? What's the main differences you see between those two uh, beliefs? The, the main difference would be um, uh, works mentality. In Buddhism, they've got, to, they've got to do so many things to try and be acceptable to God, and they've got to be do this, and they've got to do this, and got to do this, and got to do that, and it's always this continuous, I'm going to do that, and, then, and even, even after all of that, I'm still you know, not, not make it. And, and the thing is, with the years have gone by, even... After I've talked to some monks and some different people over in Cambodia, we start to hear a few bits about Buddha's teachings, and they're not what the Cambodian people are actually following as well. But with Jesus, it's about grace. It's all about the gift of life that God gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and not perish. And man, that's it. It's not about works. It's just about love, that God loves us. And if we'll believe that Jesus paid the price for us on our behalf, we can be free, and we're free. Now, Ben, if there are people listening that, uh, are saying, you know what, I want to respond to that. I'd like to become a Christian. Would you speak to those listeners about how they would do that? If your heart's basically pounded and you're like, well, I, I, I agree with what's being spoken. I, I do know that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for my sins. And I'd, I just encourage you guys, hey, just, just pray a simple prayer. It's none of this the thou art business. It's how you talk to your friend. You'd be like, well, God, 
I believe. I believe you sent Jesus for me. Lord, come into my heart. Forgive, forgive my sin. Help me to walk with you. And, and no, that's not just a one-off prayer either. That's just, that's just the beginning of, of a relationship with God. That's just the starting point. And from that, it's got to be, it's got to be growing. Get yourself established in a, in a strong church and um, start reading the word and saying, well, God, let's keep it real, Lord. I always challenge people, even all the churches we minister at, I say, hey, is, is your faith real? Are you actually really in a relationship with God or are you just, you're just playing church? Well, Ben, I can see you're the real deal, mate. You, uh, you've put your life on the line. You've taken your, your wife and your, your newborn baby and your, your, your other son over to uh, uh, Schnookville, is it? Or how, how, how do you pronounce Schnookville? Yeah, Schnookville. Schnookville, yeah, yeah, I knew I'd get it right. Um, uh, over in Cambodia. And uh, if people want to um, uh, find out more about your ministry, what's the best website for them to go to? Yeah, just com. Okay, and what's your vision for uh, for this trip? You're about to head over soon. What's what's your vision? Oh, mate, there's so much to do over there. Basically, God's just said go. He hasn't He hasn't told us to stay, so we're just going to get over there, get to that new township of Sionukville, and and say, okay, Lord, here we are. What do you want us to do? There's always people to help. All right, mate. Well, I, when I come over next, I'll do an interview, and we'll get an update on how things are going, eh, mate? I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. If you'd like to download this interview, just go to www.historymakersradio.com and also you can make a donation if you'd like. I'm Matt Prater. Have a great week. History Makers.